everybody. I'm Andy Hamilton, Attract Wrestling, coming to you from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame, Dan Gable Museum in downtown Waterloo, Iowa. Joined, as always, by David Mirkatani, coming to you from St. Louis, site of the 2021 NCAA Championships. David and I are going to break down the four sites, uh, four cities that were awarded NCAA sites from 2019 through 2022. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, NCAA wrestling rule changes, Keith Gavin to Pittsburgh, some other coaching changes. We're going to take a look at uh, five more teams uh, from 2017, looking ahead to 2018. Uh, lots to talk about. We need a name for this show, though, David. We need a we name do. for this show. We've been talking about that for months. <laughs> we do, yeah, for sure. So um, I'm going to throw some swag into uh, into the hat. Um, I've got some stuff left over at Missouri Border Brawl, the gear provided by Cliff Keen. So if uh, we, if somebody goes, I guess, on our page or on a post, a track wrestling post, and gives us a name that we use for the show, I will send the winner um, a hat and a T-shirt or a hoodie, whatever they want. So um, hopefully stuff, we can come man. up with something good. Everybody yeah. loves free stuff. Swag, Everybody baby. Everybody loves free stuff. And it's good <laughs> stuff. It's good stuff, too. Yeah. So yeah, we'll you guys post some. Yeah. We'll post a link to this podcast up on the – we'll link it up on the Track Wrestling Facebook page and uh, go underneath uh, that and, you know, in the comments section, leave a, uh, your suggestion. If we pick it as the winner, David will ship uh, some border brawl, border brawl gear your way. Um, but uh, – the big news in college wrestling today, we're recording this on Tuesday evening. Uh, earlier today, the NCAA awarded the championship sites for 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022. Uh, it's going to go to Cleveland next year, and then it will go to Pittsburgh for the first time since 1957. It will be in Pittsburgh in 2019, followed by Minneapolis. It's going to go to U.S. Bank Stadium, home of the Minnesota Vikings. Back to a dome for the first time since 1997 when it was up here in north northeastern Iowa at the Uni Dome in Cedar Falls. Uh, 2021, as I mentioned, will go back to St. Louis. And then Detroit will get another crack at it in 2022. David, just your general thoughts on the latest round of NCAA sites. Well, I think we talked about last week that we we could probably read the tea leaves based on what they did. And um, my impression is they're definitely going to feel this dome thing out. I think that's one of the reasons why Minnesota got it in 2020 or 2019, obviously got it 2020, but that they can get the reactions from that. Um, I, I talked to some people. First of all, I talked to Chris Roseman, the sports commission guy here in St. Louis, like two minutes after it was announced and just told him how happy I was for him. But he talked about the challenges of sight lines and um, also talked about, or he didn't, but I talked to some other people about how will demand be for those tickets when people just know there's 50,000 seats. I mean, if you've ever run an event, and I've run several, scarcity really helps. You know, if you go, look, we only got 50 tickets left, people buy them. If you go, you got 50,000, people wait. And so... It'll be really interesting, and also, you know, Minneapolis is not the ideal city to be walking around in in the middle of March. So, 
yeah, that'll be a challenge too. But to kind of put them in three of the four pretty cold cities in in March. I mean, when St. Louis is the warmest city of the four, that's interesting. So yeah, you know that that's yeah. interesting. And the other thing that somebody smarter than me said was maybe there's a solution to this one semester sport by being able to keep it in arenas, and that's to do it the weekend after the Final Four in basketball. You push the season back essentially three weeks. And, yes, there's, you know, sort of eight weeks in November and December, but, you know, most of those are open tournaments. People don't wrestle a lot of those weeks, like during the weeks of finals and stuff anyway. So there's probably really only five weeks of wrestling there. You'd only lose two weeks. And you'd be able to benefit your student athletes by making it a one semester sport. So I think this is all putting some things in motion. And I think everyone's going to really look at how 2020 goes. Um, selfishly, I'm very happy for Chris Rosen and the Sports Commission. And uh, it means we'll have Border Brawl in 2021 in St. Louis again. I know that. So, um, you know, those were my overall thoughts. Just happy for, you know, and, and I'm going to have Chris Roseman on in a couple of weeks on Match Chat. I'm really interested to learn how the bidding process works, and he's going to break that all break that all down to the listeners, which I think it will be cool. Well, let's start with St. Louis first, because St. Louis has had the tournament eight times since 2000. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, multiple four-year windows in here where uh, St. Louis has had it twice. Now, St. Louis is only going to get it once in this go-round. And there was talk, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, um, probably probably closer to 10 years ago, about making St. Louis the permanent home of the NCAA Wrestling Championships. Uh, and now only one out of four here. Does it feel like this might be getting away from St. Louis at all from your from your vantage point? No. What I do think, though, is that it was never going to be permanent anywhere it's not a knock on St. Louis or anywhere else that, you know, if anybody's ever taken a business class, you know, supply and demand, and that's how you get more money. If you take away all the bids, you know, now you're stuck with whatever they give you. And I think just giving it to St. Louis or just giving it to Oklahoma City or just giving it to Kansas City or anywhere sort of here in the Midwest, it eliminates all these people, or not people, cities bidding. And these cities bid a lot of money, and that those money that money goes in the coffers of the NCAA, and they'd be crazy to you know eliminate that process. Uh, so I, when I first sort of got involved in this stuff, maybe seven, ten years ago with St. Louis, that's kind of you're probably right. That's kind of when it was kind of getting whispered around, and I was really excited. People I knew were like, "That will never happen," and they explained to me why, and and they've been right. So and the people that I talked to about this knew that. I don't think St. Louis needs to worry about it being out. I think if domes are the way they go, St. Louis has a dome. Yeah. So they're fine. You know, and uh, Scott Trade, where they will, where they'll have it in 2021, is going to go undergo a massive renovation between now and then. The Union Station Hotel, which is a great host, is going to go under a massive renovation between now and then. So it'll be amazing. Uh, and again, if if they need to go to a dome. The, the dome is literally less than a mile from Scott Trade. All the same hotels. You just, you know, you take a different Uber, you take a different cab, or you take a different shuttle, or your van goes in a little bit different direction. But you know, the, the coaches. If you're coaching a team, you want familiarity. You want to know here's where I go to get the groceries. 
here's where we work out, here's the times we can work out, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's, I think St. Louis will always have that in their favor. They have reasonably priced hotels. They, you know, they have a major airport. I, and and I, I can't say, I don't want to say this to, to disparage anyone else because I have no idea who's on any of these other committees, but St. Louis really wants the Nationals. And there's just something to that. When you really want something, you try really hard. And you put your best foot forward, and St. Louis does that. So, yeah, I, I think they'll probably stay in the rotation for the foreseeable future. Uh, and I don't think that the rotation will cease to exist. I think the only way it doesn't stay in the future is if they go to a one-semester sport and they don't and they eliminate don'ts and they they stay in arenas because then, as yep. we talked about ad nauseum. No team, no city, excuse me, with an NHL or NBA team could have it, and that would eliminate. Well, that would actually eliminate all of the cities they got at this time, right? Yeah, I think you so. Know, yep. Minnesota's got a hockey team. Detroit's got a hockey team and a basketball team. St. Louis has a hockey team, and, and Pittsburgh has a hockey team. So, you know, you're talking about complete change if that happens. But the dome thing is a game changer, for sure. And if, if it works, and I'll rewind to, to what I said last week. I wasn't real wild about the idea of going to a dome. Uh-huh. Uh, but but I have really warmed up to this idea of Minneapolis in 2020 just, be, you know, from talking to people you know, that, that uh, are familiar with what the layout is going to look like and, and some of the things that they can do up there. Um, sounds like they're going to cut the arena or cut, cut the dome in half, uh, curtain, curtain off half of it, and they'll have some warm-up space. Uh, which which you hear um, you know, the the one thing that uh, you know that, that the athletes and coaches really liked about Des Moines in 2013 was just the unbelievable amount of warm up space and and the um, student student athlete kind of lounge area that they had there and, and you know from talking to Brandon Egum this this afternoon he w- he was going on about how nice some of the the amenities are that they'll have there for student athletes. Uh, the warm-up space will be incredible. Um, he said that the sight lines, um, you know, from having a chance to look at it, they've got a pretty good plan in place for that. I'm eager to see that, what, what that looks like, because if if uh, you don't lose anything from a sight line stand, standpoint, um, if, if they can somehow replicate the arena type of feel in a, in a dome stadium, then that, that could completely change uh, the conversation that we've had for months here about, you know, does the season move back? And if so, what happens then from a scheduling standpoint uh, because of the things that you just, you, you outlined with NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, sure. go to dome stadiums, that, that's no longer an issue. If they can make this thing work and, and make it work well, uh, then you start bringing in, you know, places like potentially Indianapolis, um, you know, maybe uh yeah, maybe Glendale, Arizona, um, you know, places like that. I think the uh, city so that I'm, you're going to bid for it if they don't go to a dome that will bid for it hard will be Kansas City and Tulsa, you know, because they, they have great arenas. I was just in the Sprint Center this yep. weekend and, you know, was at Tulsa for Big 12s, and and you couldn't be at the Big 12s and not see it with the dress rehearsal for the next set of bids, you know, so – yeah, it's super interesting, you know, and I'm not against the domes. And, you know, you talk to some of the biggest movers and shakers in the sport. It's so cool. You talk to Egum, 
literally today, but I know that's what you do. You get those big interviews, and that's cool to, you know, that that guy is so excited about it that it's kind of piqued your interest and, you know, maybe maybe made you a little more optimistic about things. So that's that's a great get by you, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out for sure. I know the people in Pittsburgh, in talking to them this afternoon, they were really fired up about it. It's interesting, you know, you would think that, uh, you know, having, you know, the inside track on what goes into these bids, that, that the people that, that have put their, you know, their their heart and soul into to making this work for their community. And, and, mm-hmm. and to rewind a little bit, um, I, I, I talked to Kathy Nelson from Kansas City uh, yesterday, and I asked her, you know, because they were on probably the just missed list the last go round in 2013, and I'm guessing Kansas City was probably on the next cut uh, for this go round. Uh, asking her about, you know, I asked her about so like to, to to just miss in this. It's got to be like like recruiting, you know. You don't get anything for, for second place in recruiting, and I'm having flashbacks. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for so, sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she said that that's what's really tough is, you know, you, you put so much energy into it and and uh, th- then you have to answer the questions to your, your local community, you know, your your local community leaders like, why you know, we don't have anything this year. Or we don't have anything, you know, this cycle. Right. Um, and I know the folks in Kansas City really wanted this bad. She talked about uh, all the wrestling people that they had on their staff and how they were, you know, uber excited about uh, the, the specter of, of having wrestling, you know, the NCAA wrestling championships back in Kansas City, uh, but obviously Kansas City didn't make the cut this go around. Um, but but the point where I was going with this at the beginning, um, Pittsburgh, uh, you would think that that the people, like I said, that they have the inside track on this and, and spend so much time and effort uh, putting the bids together that they, that they would maybe get a heads up, you know, from the NCAA <laughs> that, that they're winning the bid. But they they found out like the rest of us. You know, they were on there at, at noon central, one eastern, uh, yeah. refreshing their browser on NCAA.com and and waiting to find out. And that's how they found out. Uh, you know that they were they were getting the tournament in 2019, and and I imagine that's probably pretty pretty similar to the rest of the folks. Uh, Trust that, me. Uh, yep, that, that either won or won the bid or or did not win. Um, so, but uh, for as the people listening. Trust me, what you're saying is 100% gospel because I've been hounding Chris Roseman every other day. Like, what are you hearing? What are you hearing? What are you hearing? You know, like, hey, you know, if you hear it even 20 minutes ahead of time, can we break the story? And he's like, well, one, you can't break the story. And two, I don't have a story to break. I'm going to find out what everybody else does. Yeah. So, yep. you know, it, it, that, that's going to be part of the interesting part of the interview with him is like, it, re, the recruiting analogy is so good and somewhat painful, <laughs> but it, it, it's so good, you know, because uh, it's exactly right. It's exactly right. Like, you know, like, and kids are good. They all tell you you were the second choice. Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you could have been the yeah. fifth choice. Right? I mean, yep. you know, it doesn't matter. It's nice to have your name mentioned. It's nice <laughs> yeah. to have your name mentioned in the conversation, but in the end, it doesn't get you very far. Yeah, but, uh, they can only score points for one team. So, you know, the, the, the revenue can only go to four cities, and these are the four that got them. So it, it, super, super happy for St. Louis. You know, Pittsburgh, I think Pennsylvania is obviously great. You know, that's a ton of wrestling up there, and it's Pittsburgh's 
you know, not very far from Cleveland if my geography's, you know, somewhat good. So, you know, I know Chris every year goes to all the every other location to see what they're doing right, what what St. Louis can do to, you know, if they have any good ideas to, to replicate those. So I'm sure Pittsburgh will probably work very closely with Cleveland, you know, I would think. And and St. Louis, you know, I think, you know, you, you go work with the people that have gotten gotten it done right and you work with those people and you don't need to reinvent the wheel on a lot of this. Um, your, your part about your, you know, your mentioning of workout space and lounges and stuff like that, when uh, Terry Brands was on last week, that's his only complaint about St. Louis. And, and that's going to get adjusted with the new Scott Trade renovations. But, you know, the domes obviously just really just have more, you know, more land, you know, more square footage. So that, that should be a, a cool thing. I don't think dropping a curtain is as simple as it sounds. The sight lines are not the same. And I've, like I said, I've run events in arenas like that, and it's, it's not ideal. But hopefully they'll come up with a good solution because, you know, wrestling needs to keep evolving, you know, one way or another. I think eventually they're going to take this out of a one, out of a two semester sport and make it one, whether it's pushed out to late, you know, April, beginning of May or pushed back to the week after final four. I think that train is headed in that direction. You know, I don't know what triggered this thought, but rewinding to my conversation with Brandon Egham today, he was telling mm-hmm. me that, uh, you know, he had heard something crazy about, like, U.S. Bank Stadium, but just the, the massive size of it, that, that you could fit, like, the, the, the Metrodome in there twice. And uh, it's, it's staggering. It, it is absolutely staggering. And, and uh, you know, some of the amenities – that, that you know, I'm, I'm eager to get up there and, and see what that place is all about. But uh, uh, you know, looking at Detroit for 2022, and, and uh, um, you know, looking at it last night, they they're going to have like five restaurants and seven bars in Little Caesars Arena by the time that thing is complete. Going to open this fall. Um, Detroit was interesting because that was one to me that that I hadn't thought a lot about until here just in the last few days. Uh, but, um, you know, rewinding to 2007, and, and, you know, I've been going covering this tournament since 2000. And I, I, 2007 in Detroit did not feel like an NCAA tournament just because of the fact that, you know, the, the Palace in Auburn Hills was out by itself out in the yeah. suburbs, and there wasn't anything within walking distance. And you were driving like 10, 15 minutes from, from uh, you know, where we stayed. Uh, it was like, you know, we were at the media hotel, and it was like a 10, 15-minute drive to the arena. And it, it just did not have the same feel uh, that you you get, um, you know, in St. Louis, in Oklahoma City, um, you know, you know, Des Moines, Albany, New York, um, all these places that we've we've been accustomed to being able to walk right uh, between sessions, just leave, you know, park the car in the morning, walk to or, or even walk to the uh, the arena, and be able to walk and grab uh, something to eat or drink uh, right. between rounds. Um, but uh, you know, so I hadn't thought a whole lot about Detroit, and, and I was certainly wasn't the only one who who left Detroit in 2007 with was just kind of a a blah taste in my mouth over the tournament, but Correct. Um, the downtown, downtown Detroit's going undergoing a massive renovation, um, huge construction boom going on down there. And the people that have been there 
here in the last couple of years have had incredibly positive things to say about what's going on in downtown Detroit. And so uh, I'm anxious to see uh, what that tournament will be, will be like in 2020. You're talking state-of-the-art, brand-new arena, $732 million uh, arena that's going to hold uh, upwards of 20000 um, So, So that's interesting. The one thing that, that – um, was another thing that was interesting to me about this was the fact that they backed up Cleveland with Pittsburgh, and that I thought that you was know, interesting too. Yeah, so close to each other. Kind of go out. Right? Yep, yep, and and to go back to back years out, um, you know, kind of in, in the Rust Belt, Great Lakes um, region of the country is interesting to me. You know, I thought maybe they would go uh, Cleveland back to St. Louis or or something along those lines. Uh, but now right. it's going to be Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and then back to the Midwest uh, for a couple of years, and then back to uh, Michigan in 2020, and then we'll um, probably 2021 we'll be having this conversation again about uh, That's who gets right. it from 2023 through uh, 2026. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, and and Kansas City used to be like that with Kemper Arena. It was out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. You're walking through the mud. You know, stuff like that. I mean, I, like I said, I was just at Sprint Center this weekend. You can literally throw a rock from McFadden's at Power and Light and hit that place. And it's unbelievable, you know, how they that the change. So, you know, more and more cities are getting smart about it. Um, I mean, I'm happy. You know, I, I put a, my own post up earlier today. I'm happy for all the cities. I, I'm a very, very small cog in the St. Louis bit. I mean, very, very small. But I know the people that do a lot of work. And it's got to feel like such a huge win when they hit refresh and their name pops up. So I'm, I'm happy for all the people in these four cities. And, you know, Detroit and the state of Michigan fall on really hard economic times. So I, I am happy for them that they're going to have a huge surge of, of money come in. You know, I'm a finance econ major. And I'm, that was literally the first thing I thought about with Detroit. Like, that's great for that city and that area. I'm happy for them. Well, the other big news from the NCAA came out last Friday. NCAA wrestling rule changes uh, proposals uh, for now. Uh, but David, what did you? Uh, what was your take on what the NCAA sent out on Friday? Well, I guess maybe the easiest way is just to go through them one by one. And you know, the first one was they talked about punishing more severe penalties for people that uh, cheat or violate weight loss practices and stuff like that. And I mean, I guess that's probably good. Right. But I mean, yeah. you know, people that cheat are going to continue to cheat and just probably be better at it. Uh, so I don't think it changes anything, honestly. I mean, they talk about like, you know, sauna suits and saunas, you know, but if you go to any good school, there's a sauna, you know, usually within a hundred feet of the wrestling room. So, you know, that's an interesting thing. The second one, they, you know, at least like in the article I'm looking at here on track, where, you know, the second day the guys get a pound, I, I thought that was ridiculous that that was ever not the rule. I mean, it's crazy these guys make scratch, scratch, or national scratch, scratch, scratch. Wait, that, that's insane. I had to do it. It's super hard. Um, you know, I think this is that, – that should have happened a long time ago. Uh, the headgear one, I – the the one thing, the quote I saw, and I'm friends with Mark Branch, but he said, in some cases, ear protection may irritate or be abrasive 
to the athlete's ears and promote cauliflower ear. If somebody's wearing a headgear in such a way that it promotes cauliflower ear, they need to buy a new headgear or adjust the headgear. Because if you get a headgear that fits right, that's not the case. Now, the second sentence, we feel collegiate athletes are mature and educated enough to do what's best for them. Sure. Okay. You know, if you want to make, if that's the argument. Honestly, when I first read that, this felt like this, the Heat Valencia Mark Hall reaction. Did, did that thought cross your mind? I didn't feel like it was a reaction to it, but, but uh, you know, I certainly thought about that, that scenario since this has come up. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I still wonder if this is one that will pass. Yeah, I don't think it will. I mean, I think Cliff Keenan and Asics and Adidas and Brute and everybody makes Edgar's, you know, lobbying right now. So, yeah. Uh, the facial hair one, I originally thought of Mike Zadek, and then I read it's only half an inch. So, I, Yeah, he's guy, not going to make it under the half inch <laughs> requirement with that one. As a guy who's half Asian and can't really grow facial hair, it's really hard for me to do <laughs> have a whole lot of personal involvement on that one or investment. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, whatever, I guess to each their own. Uh, the third-party review one, you know, what's interesting, the third-party review one and then the neutral thing, which we'll talk about, these are things we talked about for two weeks in a row on Matt Chat. And, it, you know, it's good to know where either talking about these things than they are. Maybe they even listen to folks like, you know, like Pete Mankiewicz and, and like Mike Haggerty that are, you know, saying, hey, you know, we wouldn't mind if we had a third party looking over us. You know, we want to get the calls right. And, you know, Haggerty and I spent a long time talking about this neutral thing, about guys being on their back. And we, I think literally we said maybe there should be like a 10-second count and then, you know, they should make a decision. And it sounds like the proposal is a three-second count. I think one of the interesting things is, and it's, you know, the rule says, or the rule proposal says when in the neutral position, and then yada, yada, yada. It's it, sometimes you have the identical position where, like, I started on top, and you put me in this crazy position, and I'm flopping around all over the place, but I'm still actually getting riding time. It doesn't sound like that this proposal would address that at all. So... It'll actually be really important for the referee to remember if they started out in neutral, if one guy started out on top or not. But what that rules, that proposal is the biggest of interest to me. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I'm me too, by far, out, out of all these. Um, uh, and and I'm curious to see how it changes. Uh, you know, if if it goes forward, if it passes, how how this changes wrestling going forward. I think. Um, you know, one of the things that's that's really uh, annoying to me, and and you see it happen all the time, is is just the you know the dive through the legs. Like a guy takes a good shot, um, guy dives through the legs, stalemate. And and um, I, I wonder if we're going to see uh, see that kind of go away a little bit, where. Um, where scrambling is going to be scrambling for, for points rather than scrambling to prevent points from going up on the board. I'm I think curious that's about really that. well said. I think that's really well said. That you're, I, I don't think you can say it better than how you just said it, that there are a lot of times like, okay, well, you're about to take me down. I might as well just dive through and try to hang on, and maybe the ref will give me a stalemate. Now you can lean back, put me in a spot, 
And if I'm dumb enough to stay there, not only are you going to get the takedown, you're going to start getting back points. So yeah. I like that. I do like that a lot. And I think this is kind of like this, you know, the out of bounds rule where in the beginning guys were, you know, like, you know, you're on top. I get a, I stand up, you, you know, we go to the edge, I turn around, I get away and then you shoot me off and I get hit. You know, the referees are going to adjust and guys are going to adjust, but you're going to probably see some early season matches where matches get decided on this rule alone for sure. So, uh, you know, I, here's what I think is dumb that people say, like, you know, people will say, like, oh, when this rule is this way, like, well, Jesse Delgado wouldn't have won what he won or Megaluz wouldn't have won what he won, you know, how he rode on top. These are the best guys in the country. They wrestled They're gonna to the rules. Yeah. Yes, of course. Dean Heil won't be there next year. I mean, he's got the Internet. <laughs> he's already read the rules. He's already adjusting yeah. his game, you know, so – I think overall it might make for a better product of wrestling. I certainly see that, you know, and I think it makes wrestling easier for a non-hardcore fan to understand. Because there's so many times you look at wrestling and if you're sitting next to, you know, some girl you brought with you and she's like, he's winning? Doesn't look like he's winning. You know, this makes it a lot easier probably. So, yeah. The, the other rule, which kind of slid under the radar, I haven't heard anybody talk about it, says wrestlers will be limited to a maximum of six matches a day. I have no idea how they're going to enforce that in a 32-man bracket with pigtails at the beginning of the year. Yeah. What are you going to do? Get to the Constellation Semis and go, you're done? Yeah, it's going to be that's going to be interesting, for sure. That was the one I, I mean, thought about as well. You know, like if you're in the pigtail, or even if you're in the round of 32, and you go 32 to 16, 16, 8, and then you lose, it's four more matches to take third. That's seven matches. I mean, that's yeah. just math. So, yeah. you know, and it's long, I think it's even longer if you lose in the round of 16 because it's usually two matches on the back equal one advancement on the front. So I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, I guess the simple solution is – you know, the guys that lose in the semis wrestle for third. I mean, like, that's what they do in jiu-jitsu tournaments. You know, they don't even have any wrestlebacks or any, you know, fight backs and no consolations in jiu-jitsu tournaments at all. They don't care. They don't see it. They put all the guys, you know, they just put them all in a pool and draw them out. But uh, that's going to affect some people, too. And I, I guess they're doing that for safety purposes, but I, I don't see how wrestling six matches is any worse than having a two-and-a-half-hour practice. I really don't. So... Yeah, and again, uh, again this like all, all this stuff still has to be it has to be approved. Um, right. It's nothing's nothing's written in permanent ink at this point. It's you know these are all proposals, and and uh, you know it will be interesting to see what actually gets passed. I think it's June thirteenth. I want to say that uh, you know that this stuff uh, either gets pushed through or or gets nixed. Um, so that so that'll be interesting. You know, it's it's been kind of funny though that uh, uh, you know the headgear and and the beard reaction like was <laughs> unbelievably popular amongst wrestlers. You know, you know, and I was kind of curious what they're going to do. You know, if if uh, you know the beard thing is going to be like you know you know you go to an I used to cover um, auto racing at Des Moines Register and you go to like a NASCAR race and they they put cars through inspection and they've got 
Um, you know, this unbelievable, like, um, you know, gauge system that they, you know, that they go through for inspection. And, and I wonder if, you know, you're going to see guys out, you know, if we're going to see that for the beard, beard rule, you know, they're going to be in violation of the beard rule by like one, one sixteenth of an inch. It kind of feels like it. It feels like, you know, I, I don't know. I think that's going to be interesting. I mean, if, if I had a choice of what passed and what didn't pass, I, I don't think they should get rid of headgears. I mean, you know, the weight loss thing, the penalties for the weight loss thing, I, I, if it was, you know, if I was deciding, that's fine. Extra pounds on consecutive days is fine. You know, I think headgears probably should be kept, although I guess, you know, like if you're trying to promote your athletes, it's easier to tell who a guy is without a headgear on. Facial hair, like I said, I can't get invested in that because it's, it's a simple, not applicable to me. Um, the third-party video stuff I think is great when you can afford it. And I think the the neutral stuff, you know, the 90 degrees, I, I couldn't be for that more. I think three seconds is really fast. Like, I think I would suggest five, but okay. And then I, I think you'd have to change this six matches a day to seven. But, you know, I mean, people throw this stuff out and then really smart people weigh in on it. And then ultimately that somebody decides. So, you know, well, like you said, we'll wait till June and see what actually gets decided. I like the third party review. Obviously, you know, we've talked about that and, and um, you know, that's, that's been one of my biggest complaints with, with video review is just that there isn't a third party independent review committee. Uh, but that being said, I mean, you know, you certainly can't make this mandatory across the country when, when you're talking about the cost for some of these schools to bring right. in, bring in a, a, an extra review official to, to maybe not review anything, an entire dual mate or, or maybe one <laughs> or two calls. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that's not a real wise uh, in, investment of resources. So, so I, I, I think we can get by without it. Um, during the dual season, would it be nice, you know, if, if we're in a position where our sport could, you know, or everybody in our sport could afford that? Yeah, that'd be great. But but as, as long as it's there for the conference qualifiers, uh, the big uh, in-season tournaments, uh, in, in the NCAA championships, I, that, you know, that's fine with me. I don't know how you feel about that. But, uh, you know, you certainly don't want to see championships taken away from guys and, and um when video review could solve that. I, I just feel like so many of these calls, I mean, you look at the percentages year after year after year, it seems like it's, you know, and I'm, I'm just guessing here, but I remember one year where it was like upwards of 90% that, that the call on the mat stood. And, right. and uh, you're usually talking about, usually talking about borderline calls to begin with. And, and so it, it would be interesting to me to see, you know, what those numbers will look like you know, when you get a third party involved, you know, somebody that, that uh, has not made the call on the mat, what they see on video. Um, because, you know, you look at uh, Major League Baseball review numbers, and, and they're a lot, lot closer to 50-50 That's uh, right. than, than college wrestling. So. Yeah, the only way it's ever going to be economical is if they have the ability to just shoot the video from the match, you know, like if, like you're in Waterloo, Iowa. So let's say you're the guy. You're the you're the you're the former Dean Bland, Blandino of the NFL. You're the guy that's reviewing everything. And Penn State's wrestling Ohio State in in Penn State. And 
you're, but you're able to see the video from multiple angles right there. And then, you know, somebody throws the brick in, which is the other new part of these suggested rules, and you don't have to be there. They just have to pay yep. somebody to, to be there, you know, at, by a screen. That You know, that's when it could start happening on a, you know, major basis. But otherwise, I couldn't agree with you more. I don't want to slight any tournaments, but, you know, if you can have it at Cliff Keen and have it at Midlands and have it at Scuffle and, you know, have it at the conference tournaments and have it at the national, that certainly seems like a step in the right direction. And whether it's a Mike Allen or a Tim Shields or whoever's reviewing it, you know. And the other thing they have to think about is when you go to, like, the nationals, especially the nationals, but any of those big tournaments, there's eight mats going, so it's very possible multiple challenges could happen simultaneously. So you have to have yeah. more than one, one guy sitting there. People haven't thought about Absolutely. that, but that's, that's a thing. No, I was th- I was just thinking about that, and that was that was a point I was going to bring up to you. What happens if if like six mats have reviews at once? Yeah, you know, well, I mean, then, then like if you you know <laughs> if you don't have the process figured out, um, it, it's going to grind to a screeching halt. I mean, you know, if, and if, they may dismiss know, it for that reason. Person. They they may yeah. vote it out for that reason. I mean, because you know, part of winning or in wrestling is having better conditioning and if you know like okay let's just keep it simple man one two three four five and six all have challenges and they happen to come in the order of one two three four five and six if you're in match six you probably got about a 15 minute wait that's like starting over good yeah yep so So anyway we spent quite a bit of time here just on the ncaa um Lots of other stuff going on in college wrestling. Uh, rewind to last week. Uh, we, we've talked for weeks about Pittsburgh and where is Pittsburgh going to go with this hire. And the Panthers are going to you know, wind up with one of their own. They uh, selected Keith Gavin uh, last week. That became official. David, what are your thoughts on the hire there? Everybody I've talked to said Gavin's like a really smart guy, really steady a uh, really good leader, great technician. Uh, so that's awesome. Seems like a guy who's paid his dues, been at several programs. Nobody has a bad word to say about the guy. Was a great wrestler. Um, you know, the year, his junior year, Ben Askren's senior year, he gave Ben a really close match till, the, till one scramble in the third period where I don't even know if they would call it a takedown, but, you know, Ben just kind of looked at the ref and, kind of held Gavin there long enough to get a two and a two or a two and a three. I can't remember. So, but it's like every school. Can he, can he recruit? Cause you can't win without the horses. You know, he's in a great spot. He's a Pennsylvania guy. I think he's one of those guys that never won state himself and turned into a national champion. So yep. I think that goes a long way when you're walking into the living room, right? You know, like, Hey, you know, look what I did. I can definitely help your son accomplish his goal. You know, if he's a one-time state champ, theoretically, he was better than me in high school. So, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see how he puts the staff together. If he's kind of that steady, quiet guy, he actually reminds me a lot of, like, my father. You need somebody who's a little crazy, like myself, that just wants to go out and just beat the hell out of the phones and make a thousand calls and, you know, get the right guys on campus and get and get the right recruits. But I think it's good. I think it's good they made a decision. And, you know, the interesting thing besides him is now what happens at OU, right? Are you hearing any rumblings about who gets that assistant spot? Uh, not a whole lot at this point, but 
you know, that, that was certainly a thought that crossed my mind is, is Lou Rizzelli going to go back to, uh, you know, some of the guys that he knew and coached uh, back in Columbus? Is he going to kind of try to shake that tree a little bit and see uh, if he can bring somebody from, from the Ohio State uh, branch down to Norman? I don't know. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think? I, I think that Lou Rosselli's like a borderline genius when it comes to wrestling for everybody I've talked to and talked to him just once or twice. So I think it'll be a really well-thought-out decision. I mean, there's two theories, right? Like one is we get everybody who's singing from the same hymnal. You know, like we get all Iowa guys. We get all Oklahoma State guys. We get all Ohio State guys. The other one is, hey, we get guys from different, you know, different programs and we, we integrate the best of everything, kind of like what Tony Roby's doing out of Virginia Tech. So I, I think it'll probably be a decision that when it's announced, we all go, ah, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, I mean, and I may try to catch up with, with Lou next week at the Open and see if, you know, he's willing to, you know, let me pick his brain and see who he's thinking about, about hiring. But it's it's definitely going to change change things. And you were high on OU all this year, and you were right that they they probably improved as a team as much as anybody in the country. And they've done what you and I have talked about, where you start first by having a really competitive dual meet team, and then you start improving those guys where they start getting high on the podium and start scoring more points at nationals. So you can see that momentum building in Norman for sure. Well, the latest news in the coaching carousel, Angel Estebito going back to Indiana, um, mm-hmm. you know, replacing uh, Nick Simmons there. So that he, you know, he goes from Iowa State back to Indiana, his alma mater. Uh, anything else catch your attention from the college coaching carousel? No, I, I think kind of. You know, I think when Dresser came in, you know, you knew he was going to bring his own guys in, and those guys would all be looking for jobs. And, you know, I had a chance to talk to Angel probably more than I ever have in my life at Big 12s, and super, super personality, high-energy guy. Um, I, You know, I have some connections, obviously, with Iowa State, and those guys all said he's a great technician and just really a guy that, you know, the kids want to be around. And so, I mean, it probably makes sense to bring him in, and obviously he had wonderful success there in Indiana. So uh, it's, it's a good get for them for sure. So, Well, we're going to take a look at five more teams this week, kind of rewinding from the 2017 NCAA championships, looking ahead to 2018. Where are we going to start, David? Well, we left off with Michigan at number 10. So the next five teams in order from last year were Illinois with 43.5, Lehigh with 40, Wisconsin 39.5, Arizona State, 39, and then pretty substantial drop-off to Virginia, 29.5. So, Illinois, they scored uh, 21.5 points at 133 and 174 with Dane Richards. And, uh, oh, God, I'm drawing a blank right now. Who's the kid that plays there? That's right. Thank you. So, and they both graduated. So, you know, that's really, you know, like right on the nuts, half the points. So it feels like, you know, they don't have guys. That, I, mean, I think Montalvo will probably start at 74 and Dylan Duncan. Or they might bring in Mejia right away at 33. But to expect those guys to score that level of production right out of the shoot probably isn't realistic. Uh, it feels like 
you know, Brooks Black could certainly improve. You know, I gave him a green light and Emory Parker a green light. I mean, he showed, you know, some, some promise, some big match ability there. It kind of feels like the rest of the team is is certainly not going to fall back, but they didn't have a lot of guys score. The only other guys that really scored was Piotrowski scored a half, uh, Langendorfer scored two and a half, and then Isaiah had 17. Certainly, I don't think it would surprise anybody if Isaiah Martinez won nationals. And if he does that, that's a minimum of 20. you got to think he's going to bonus one or two matches. You know, but nationals are hard. And just to say, well, a guy's automatically going to take first. And we saw that this year. There were 10 undefeated guys going in the tournament, and only five came out unscathed. So it feels like Illinois, I had him at two as a plus with Parker and Black. Two as a minus at 33 and 74, and the other six the same. And overall, it feels like the minuses are, are more significant than the pluses, so they'll, they'll probably probably not score as many points if you had to make a projection. Do you do you agree, or, or am I off here, boss? No, I'm with you there. I'm, I'm with you there. It's um, you know, they're certainly going to need Brooks Black to to have a better season than what he had this year. I mean, you're talking about a guy that uh, was the number one high school heavyweight in the country coming uh, out of Blair Academy, um, guy that was super coveted recruit and, and uh, you know, just injuries and, and uh, other circumstances just, you know, didn't happen for him this year. Uh, uh, I suspect that he's going to take a step forward, but the program as a whole, I mean, losing, you know, losing Richards, losing Brunson, uh, just seems like Illinois just lost a little bit of steam here over over where they were uh, four or five years ago. With uh, you, know, you know, when you had um, Delgado coming off a couple of year title run, um, you know, Imar just getting going. You had uh, Richards and Brunson in the early part of their career. Some other talented young guys felt like this was a program that was on the upswing and going to challenge uh, potentially for a trophy. And, uh, you know, it just seems like they've kind of been stuck in this 9 through 12 rut here. And, uh, uh-huh. you know, there are far worse places to be than 9 through 12. But uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, it just seems like, they, like they've like they kind of been spinning their wheels a little bit in, in that range. And then you take um, two proven guys that have won a ton of matches, 100-plus matches for them uh, in, in Richards and Brunson. Uh, take those guys out of their lineup, and uh, man, it's it's uh, it, it seems like it's you know Illinois is probably going to slip back a little bit. You know, it remains to be seen, but uh, um, they're they're going to need quite a few Emory Parker stories between now and and next March. Uh, you you know, and Parker didn't make the stand, but uh, boy, he was about a minute away. Um, yeah, you know, leading yeah. leading Sam Brooks in the quarters and. Uh, you know, seemingly in pretty good shape to finish, um, you know, a takedown, kind of a body lock takedown, and he got tossed to his back and pinned there. And I think that, uh, you know, that, that would have been kind of a game changer for Illinois at this year's tournament. Uh, oh, my to, God, to yeah, guy, sure. You know, to get a, a guy like that on the stand, a guy that I think was 4-4 four and four a year ago. Um, but, uh you know, that's the guy I'm looking to for this team. Langendurfer as well, uh, another guy super athletic that, uh, you know, you see results from him here and there. Uh, just not the consistency that you're looking for that you need to see out of a guy that's going to be an All-American. But uh, the upside, certainly there with those those two guys, that, that they could make a move and in, in, uh, be in contention for a spot on the stand. Um, 
<laughs> and that's what Illinois is going to have to have to, to maintain this spot in the rankings. The way Illinois goes up is if Langendorfer gets on the stand, like you're saying, if Parker gets on the stand, like you're saying, if Brooks Black wrestles well, if Montalvo, you know, is, is as good as they think he is, and if Isaiah Martinez wins it. If they do that, they can, you know, they can stay at that 40 to 50 point range. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, so those, have- those little guys, Pytrowski and Duncan, um, you know, they've, they've produced some results here and there that uh, lead you to believe that, um, you know, the, that they're going to be assets as well. For sure. For sure. So Lehigh is an interesting team. They're next. They may have the deepest team in the country in terms of like lots of really good guys. You know what I mean? So they have 40 points. Half of them came from Darian Cruz. And then Scotty Parker scored six and a half. And then everybody else scored 13 and a half. And they got, so I kind of have them, I have them no no weights going backwards because a bunch of them were, were low scores and you can't really go backwards. But the three big gains I see them scoring significantly more are Ryan Preach at 74. Feels, I mean, that guy had a bunch of good wins and a bunch of near wins. And if he gets on the podium, that's at least five and a half points without bonus. Jordan Cutler, you know, if he makes weight, he probably places. So, you know, if he, if he can make weight this year in place, they, they took a zero there because clearly they didn't have anybody even wrestle in the qualifier. And then it feels like Scotty Parker could move up a squat, which would, would be some more points. And they have really good guys like Luke Karam at 41 and like Gardner at 49, Cole Walter at 65, Kyle Gentile at 84, and Jordan Wood will replace Valero. And Valero scored two and a half. So I don't know that Wood can score more than that, but I think, you know, I mean, it's a good weight, but he's a young kid, but like, kind of like Brooks Black, he was a huge recruit coming out of high school. And obviously, he was in the Midlands finals this year, yep. Yes, yeah. So he's legit. He's, you know, he's legit. And they had the, because of the depth in the room, they had the, the capability to redshirt him this year. So, you know, I think if Cruz can, you know, score in that 20 point range again, you know, this feels like a team that can go up, don't you think? Yeah, but that's, you know, certainly no small task. I mean, uh, you're talking about some of the guys that are coming back over 25, but uh, Cruz, you know, certainly had the fantastic tournament in St. Louis. Um, but but I'm with you. I'm totally with you. I think that, that this is a team that can take a huge step forward next year. Yeah, they just have a lot of guys that if you go, oh, Priest place, not a shock. Cutler place, not a shock. Scotty Parker moved up, not a shock. You know, another one of the Karam, Gardner, Walter guys got on the podium. You're like, well, not a shock. You know, Jordan yeah. Wood takes seventh or eighth, not surprising. Then even if Darian Cruz takes second or third, they're still at 50 or 60 points. So, uh, Wisconsin was next, right behind Lehigh, and their lineup to me, if I were to guess, is Jimenez, 25, either Lance or McClellan at 33, Cole Martin, 41, Crone, 49, the Wick brothers at 57 and 65, Christensen, 74, Ritter, 84, Robertson, 97, and Ben Stone or Wetter at heavyweight. The tough thing for them is they got 30 and a half of their 39 points from Jordan and Mentberry. And I, I don't see any way that Evan Wick and whoever they have at heavyweight can come anywhere close to that. So it just feels like even if like a Christian center, Robertson, or even if a couple of these guys make like the seven, six, seven, eight spots on the podium, 
that they're due to fall back from, you know, around 40 points this year. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's certainly interesting to look at this Wisconsin lineup on paper because, you know, you think of Wisconsin, there's usually like, you know, you got three studs, it seems like, Mm -hmm. always. You know, that they've got three or four guys that that are exceptional and, um, going to be in the mix for high All-America honors. And then uh, usually pretty solid at the other 10 weights, or it was 10 weights, other seven weights. Right. Um, but, but uh, you know, looking at this team on paper, I mean, the, the Wick brothers, I think, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of upside there. Um, Andrew Crone, Cole Martin, I think those guys could take steps forward. Uh, you know, Ritter Robertson. Um, Stone was a guy that uh, – you know, posted the, you know, pinned Jacob Casper early in the year. Uh, but, That's right. Uh, That's right. You know, just uh, <laughs> just not um, the the typical Wisconsin team. It, it feels like maybe uh, it's going to take a year or two to get back to that. I know that, uh, you know, the Badgers have some big-time recruits coming in. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it feels like a little bit of a transition year. Um, I, I'm really curious to see what, what Ben Stone will do. Uh, you know, like I mentioned, had a pin against uh, Casper. 11-3 uh, this year. Um, looks like he had, uh, uh, looking here, trying to figure out how many pins he had. Doesn't really say. He had a 37-second pin at one point this year. But 11-3 uh, and three behind Medbury, you know, button heads with Connor Medbury. I imagine that, uh, that, that that's a guy that, uh, you know, could, could do some, some damage next year. What's interesting about as a starter? Yeah, all three of these teams we just talked about have heavyweights that could make an impact with Black, Wood, and Stone. You know, so actually, if you say those three guys together, it sounds like a law firm. But those guys could all have a a big impact on their teams, and they're guys that have you know either had bad seasons or were under the radar, red shirting or backups. So, but those are guys if they were in the round of twelve, you know, knowing you know doing the kind of research that you do that probably wouldn't surprise you if any of those guys or all three of them were there. So then the team along with Michigan that could probably, I think feels like could make the biggest jump is Arizona state. And I have them, it's kind of interesting depending on how you put their lineup together. So I have them with Milhoff at 25, Nazer 33 or Brandon Courtney, uh, Villarreal at 41, Sertzis at 49, Maruka moving up to 57, Shields moving up to 65, Anthony Valencia moving up to 74, Zahid moving up to 84. I have no idea what they're going to do at 97, and Hall at heavyweight. But what's interesting about this team is they don't graduate any points. So, you know, it kind of depends. If you say, well, Anthony Valencia probably won't score as many points at 74 next year. Yeah, you can look at it that way, but if you just say Zahid, Zahid can score the same amount of points Zahid scored this year, they have, I don't have any weights where they're going to go backwards. Hall obviously wrestled great from, like, I think the 9 or 10 seed, whatever he was, up to third. But Milhoff is an immediately top six-ranked guy. Churchis is a former national champion and All-American. I mean, they, this team feels like they scored 39 points, they're kind of a headgear away from, you know, being in the finals and scoring at least probably 42, 43, which in this case would have bumped them all the way up to 11th uh, from 14th. 
they feel like they could score. I think they could score 70, 80 points next year. Don't you? Yeah, I think that that's probably a, a pretty good range, you know, for where they're where they're going to be. Um, you know, you, you talk about that that uh, set of middleweights that they have there, from from Sertus all the way up to Zahid. Uh, you know, there aren't a whole lot of lot of squads that can run out five guys in a row like that. No, right. they certainly can, but uh, not a lot of others can. And then and then you're you're backing that up with two pretty talented bookends in, in Milhoff and Hall. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've, we've seen Nazer's upside, you know, um, probably a little more upside in freestyle than folk style, but, uh, you know, that's a guy that, that, uh, you know, you can, he can make a move next year. Uh, if you, as you go ahead. You know, if you beat Coleman Scott, even if it's in tiddlywinks, you're pretty good, you know? So, I mean, Nazer's legit. They got to get him healthy and they got to get him used to folk style rules, but you know, takedowns are takedowns, especially if the yep. new rule changes with all the funk, a lot of it, you know, being, you know, at least mitigated a little bit. Yeah. This yep. team feels like it could just blow the doors off and, you know, it would really be interesting because they'll be in all likelihood one of those teams that would be in that national duel thing. And, you know, they have that, crazy schedule where they wrestled a qualifier a week before everybody else. So you and I kind of talked about this off air. The two teams that feel like they're going to make the biggest jump in terms of points are Arizona State and Michigan. And it feels like Arizona State could go all the way up to like, I don't know, five or six, just depending on how this all shakes out, obviously. But I'd be shocked if they're not in the top eight next year. So, And then the number 15 team was Virginia. And it's really interesting. They only had two guys score points for them, and that was uh, 25 and 41. They graduate 41, G. Camillo. Uh, 25, I found out later, Mueller had a, you know, why did we know he defaulted out, but he had a bad foot injury, so he couldn't wrestle on the back. But they have kind of a good lineup coming back at the first six, seven weights. They got Mueller, Mickey Phillippe, Sam uh, Sam Crevis or Brian Courtney, Cameron Coy, Andrew Atkinson, Garrett Peppelman, Fox Baldwin, and Tyler Askey. I mean, I looked at their roster, and it, nobody really jumps out at 97 or heavy, but they, it's going to be hard to make up 19 points if they scored a 41, but they kind of feel like they're going to be even, but a couple of these guys could score points. They could have a lot of guys there that score you know, two to five points, and one of them jumps on the podium and gets seven or eight. And you could see UVA at 35 or 40 points, which with some of these teams falling back might put them in like that, you know, like 10 to 12 range of the team again. I mean, the, I mean higher than they were this year at 15. What do you think? Yeah, I I, I totally agree with you. I, I think, uh, you know, that, that uh, you know, Steve Garland and company, they've recruited really well down there. Uh, and you see that, um, you know, these guys that, that you're listing in here have some credentials, man. I mean, yeah, talking about talking about, you know, these are these aren't like, you know, just under the radar recruits that, that they pulled out of nowhere <laughs> that, you know, these guys, these guys have some track record. And, and uh, you know, guys that, that have stepped up and, and won a lot of matches, this, you know, in, in open competition this year. I mean, you know, you know. Philippi was twenty-two and seven. I know he 
Uh, posted some good wins in there too. Um, you know, Sam Crevis, I think had 20 plus wins. Um, you know, you mentioned Mueller, the tournament that he had. Um, so they're starting off with three pretty good young anchors there. Uh, you know, if they, if they decide to go with Cameron Coy, you know, and bringing in another top ranked high school guy at his weight class. Um, you know, Atkinson has had flashes where, where he's just kind of been on the brink with a lot of those guys that that are in the, the you know that were in the six to twelve fifteen range at, at uh, one fifty seven this year. Um, you know, Fox Baldwin. I I don't know how many times I've seen like a Fox Baldwin match where there's been like, especially in freestyle where there's been like forty points on the board. <laughs> That's um, exactly right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so he's going to be one to watch this year for sure. Um, I, I think it's going to be, you know, that's going to be a team to keep an eye on. It's certainly going to be a team to keep an eye on with just, you know, the, the amount of of uh, blue chippers that they've assembled there. And now, now it comes time to, to squeeze in uh, every little bit of ability out of them and development and, and all that stuff and get them to perform at the right time. But you, you just see, like, this is starting to come together for Virginia. And I think Mueller, I mean, DiCamello getting over that round of 12 three times and making the finals, and then Mueller meddling as a true freshman. And you and I talked about back in December when we're doing our scuffle preview of how much we like Mueller. But I, I think that inspires a lot of confidence, the guys in the room. You know, like, okay, this guy got over the hump after three shots at it, and this other kid, I mean, he's good, he's good, he's one of our best guys, but he's a freshman. He got it done, I can get it done. And that's that's contagious. I mean, you know, you have to have somebody's got to win first for the rest of the guys to think they can do it. So I think Virginia will be better in 2017-18. I think they're going to be really good in 2018-19, you know, and maybe even 19-20 because a lot of those guys are young, young. You know, they're not like juniors. They're freshmen and sophomores. So, yeah. So I'll work on the, the next five teams for next week, uh, which are South Dakota State, NC State, UNI, Rutgers, and Edinburgh. And just thinking about it off the top of my head, those first three teams feel like they have a lot of upside to them. So it'll be interesting to see once we actually, you know, kind of put the pen to paper and see how their lineup shake out what we think. Well, anything else this week, David? Yes. Um, Friday, Matt Chat will be hard out more and Terry Pack. They were awesome. They're they're run kids clubs and doing some pretty amazing things, but I'm very, very excited. Actually kind of nervous. Uh, I get to interview the legend, the great Art Martori, the creator of the Sunkiss Kids this week. So um, say a journalistic prayer for me, Andy, that that I, I do Mr. Martori the justice that he deserves because um, I've had a chance to talk to Kenny Monday and John Smith and so many of these guys that are legends and they speak of him, Rich Bender, these guys speak of art in just the most reverent of terms. And, uh, I, I, Matt yet, I just try to ask good questions and get out of the way, but I'm super excited to listen to Mr. Martori speak. So I, I hope people will take the time to hear it. And I, I hope I do him justice. Awesome. Well, you can find that on track wrestling. It will be up on Friday. You can also download and listen on the go on the Matt Talk podcast network on iTunes. Check that stuff out. 
If you haven't listened to David's interview with Terry Brands, lots of good stuff in that. That's up on Track Wrestling and on the Matt Talk Podcast Network as well. And we're going to have more coverage of the NCAA site uh, winners. Um, you're breaking that stuff down a little more thoroughly here in the next couple of days. So check back to that. Thanks as always for listening. And once again, if you want to go and try to win some Border Brawl swag or coming up with the name to this podcast, check out the Track Wrestling Facebook page. Leave us a comment there. And we'll uh, hopefully have a name for this here in the next couple of weeks. So <laughs> thanks for listening. As always, thank you, David Maritani. And thank you, uh, we'll Andy. be back next week. is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.